Welcome back to the Running Wine Mom podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Selinski, aka the Running Wine Mom. Today, we have the pleasure of delving into the journey of an extraordinary woman, Candice Graciano, a certified life coach, grief healer, and the creative force behind the Elevate to Generate method. Candice shares her story of overcoming challenges, embracing change, and finding empowerment through running, coaching, and holistic practices. Join us as we explore the highs and lows of her ultramarathon running adventures, the profound role she plays as a death doula, her expertise in sound healing and Reiki. So let's lace up our shoes and embark on this inspiring journey together. Welcome, Candice. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Samantha. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I am so excited for all that you have. Um, so many things to offer everyone to hear about, um, so many different aspects. So this is the perfect fit for this uh, for my audience, and I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, so to start each episode, we have our Wine, Wine, and Win of the Week segment. This is where we share our favorite bottle of wine or drink. Then about something that has been bothering us and celebrate our recent victories. So grab a glass, take a deep breath, and let's... So I am a coffee drinker. I love coffee. Unfortunately, right now I'm drinking water because I'm trying <laughs> to be hydrated. <laughs> but I am definitely a huge... Gotta start the morning with some coffee. Do you have any specific coffee or kind of coffee that you enjoy? My husband has turned me into like a coffee snob. So we have like the whole espresso machine. <laughs> oh, <maker>. I love it. <laughs> So yeah, I'm very big. We're, you know, we tinker a lot with that. That's but awesome. I love Starbucks too. Like I, you know, it's funny whenever I go places, people are like, "You have to try our coffee. It's like so good at this place." And I'm like, "Can we just go to Starbucks? I really yeah. like Starbucks." Um, I know there's so many different options that you can have there. I still think about actually my favorite cup of coffee that I ever had. We were actually in Seattle at a random coffee shop I don't know I wouldn't even know where it was um but it had like I remember record players in it and um it was like a cherry based coffee and I like can still taste the cherry and like the flavors it was the weirdest like I I never I I wouldn't say like I'm like a you know coffee snob but that one I'm like if I could drink that every day I would be happy there was it by the gum wall in Seattle I think it was actually yeah Yeah. <laughs> well, their coffee is delicious. It's really good. It was good. Um, so what is your W H I N E wine of the week? Um, W H I'm still sick, so I'm struggling a little bit, which is really hindering my running. So I'm not super oh. about that. I'm trying to like my heart rate's super high. Uh, um, everybody's kind of dealing with the flu right now. So um I guess if I had the biggest wine, that would be it. That I'm just like getting over this flu that's been going around. Yeah, that's strange. Um, I hope you feel better, really. I know, like we were just saying, it's I feel like everywhere. You, you can't avoid it. Um, well, you can try to as best you can. <laughs> um, what is your win of the week? My win of the week is that I am back to running. Good. So <clears throat> I had, unfortunately, I was injured for about three years and it oh, was wow. a really big struggle. And I finally got back to running. And that's kind of been like my win for the last three months is that I've finally been back to what like I love and what I enjoy and my true passion in life. So that is my win that I'm just, I can get up and I got on the treadmill today. That's great. Do you have any specific goals for this year for running now that you're able to be back into it? Yeah. So I'm not sure um, if you've ever heard of the Leadville series out in Leadville, Colorado. Okay. I've, I've heard, but I don't know much about it. Sure. So they have a series um, it, where in June, it's a 26 mile run. July is a 50 mile run and August is a hundred. Oh my gosh. So that's really what I'm training for. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. I am excited to talk to you about ultra running and, and I'll hold all my questions for it because I've run the New York City Marathon 
And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how people could do more than this. I didn't, I didn't even think I could. It's a harder race. I mean, <laughs> I, I really think like it's a difficult marathon. Yeah, I mean, I loved, I loved every second. Yeah, of, of it, loved and hated every second of it. <laughs> Um, but before we get into that fitness part, I always like to ask my guests, what is one struggle that you've overcome leading to where you are now? And what's one thing you're most proud of in your life? Wow. One struggle. And is that like life in general? Anything. Yeah. It could be anything that sticks out to you. <laughs> I think I would have to say one of the biggest struggles that I've dealt with, like it, um, between running and coaching and my whole career is just, um, self-esteem and boundaries. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's like, you know, that is one of the reasons why I started life coaching. That's one of the reasons why I got a life coach and why I started running to really work on my own self-esteem, my inner dialogue, my inner self-talk. Mm-hmm. And it's a practice every single day, even now, but I definitely see, you know, where I was to where I am at where I am now. And, you know, I work with clients every day with it and I work with myself. Yeah. Well, the the teacher is always learning. That's what I always say. It's so important to keep uh, learning and evolving and working on yourself. Yeah. So, all right, let's get into some fitness. Uh, Is there anything besides running? How do you like to stay active when you weren't being able, when you weren't running? What was your favorite way? Running, Peloton, strength training. Those are my, you know, and I know Peloton is all aspects now. Right. Um, when it was cycling back in 2015. So huge on the Peloton cycling, running, strength training. That's my jam. I do, do you have I a favorite. Work. Do you have a favorite instructor? <laughs> I do. Jess King, <laughs> Jess King is one of my favorite instructors. Um, she is also one of my best friends outside of the bike. <laughs> right. So oh my God. We team Jess all the way. She is so I think my husband started riding with Jess before I did and he was like she's so hard like she yeah. is so crazy hard and so then I started and every time I, I actually like sometimes avoid her classes purposely because <laughs> I'm like they're too hard they're too hard yeah well I mean it's what's steady right like that yeah no better name than that yeah for yeah she's just I mean and she always looks like so beautiful doing it I'm like how do you look so great? And here I am, like, you know, sweating. I don't know, and she's just like, it doesn't even seem bothersome to her at all. This is normal, you know? She works hard. <laughs> um, so how do you stay motivated to maintain your fitness routine? I stay motivated by signing up for races. That's really when I started getting into fitness and into running. And one of the big factors behind even getting a Peloton back in 2015 and starting to run was racing. And that's mm-hmm. So I always have a race on my calendar. You know, now that I'm, I couldn't run for three years. Um, I had a really bad case of plantar fasciitis, couldn't heal it. Finally got that straight, straightened out, started running. First thing I did was put a race on my calendar for March. So in yeah. March, I'll be out in Arizona running uh, Crown King 50K. Wow. That's how I do it. Like, I, <laughs> I enjoy racing and I enjoy the community. So that's what keeps me motivated. It is such a good community. And I totally agree with what you say about just signing up for a race minor, not as big. And and since having kids, not even as nearly as big, but um, my mom and my mom is a huge runner and she's in her sixties and still does 10 milers, um, yeah. you know, like she, but we would always do in the Philly area, there's the broad street run. And then there's a few like half marathons in the, um, love run, the Philly love run, yeah, the love run races. Yeah. So I don't know how, if you did it the year that it rains, like insane amounts of rain. I started, I was one mile in and I was like, I 
don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. But it ended up being fine. Um, but that I love that course. That's a good course. Did so. you finish? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did finish. <laughs> it's just my okay, one year I was running the Philly Marathon and seven miles in, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I literally ran back to my hotel. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love I would, that. I, sometimes <laughs> it's not the day, you know? <laughs> I've done, I guess it used to be a weekend or now it's a weekend, but it used to be, I think all the same day. And I used to love that one too. That's a good one. Um, so that's awesome. I agree though. The running community is awesome and it does keep you very motivated. What struggles do you have in regards to staying healthy? Overcoming injury. That's been right. my issue for the last um, few years is just staying like physically, <laughs> you know, healthy. Like I, I am an endurance athlete at heart and I like to push and I like to run every day and I like to work out every day. And sometimes your body is just like, no, no. <laughs> so even when my foot got really, my feet got really injured and I was still trying to push through it, eventually I had to be like, all right, you have to stop this. Mm -hmm. And then I went into a deep depression about that, about not being able to move the way that I wanted to move and finding different things in that, that would still excite me and light me up. Right. Oh, that's, yeah, I, I can totally relate to that as well. It's really hard. It, it's such an outlet to run. I feel like people that maybe aren't into it, they don't get it, but like it, just clearing your, it's the best meditation and therapy. It's like, meditation. yeah. Um, so going a little bit deeper into running, ultra running, can you first explain what is ultra running to those who may not have heard of it before? So an ultra marathon is any race over 26 miles. So once you push 26, you know, 27 miles, you've run an ultra. They usually start at a 50K, which is 31 to 32 miles, depending on the course. And they go all the way up to multi-day stage races. Right. What's the longest that you've done? So the longest I've completed is 50 miles. I've wow. attempted on the Leadville 100 twice, and both times I timed out. Okay. So marathons, like you have to get to aid stations by certain points. They can't have you, like literally you're out in the mountains or out in the desert. Yeah. Ridiculous hours, right? So if you don't get to certain points by certain times, they will pull you. Mm -hmm. So the 100 is like, it's that phantom. I'm really trying to hope that this is the year that it happens now that I'm injury free, but I've gotten to 26 miles of it. I've gotten to 50 miles of it. <laughs> and now this year you're getting to a hundred. That's hopefully I'm getting to a hundred. How do you feel? How did you feel when you did have to drop out? How is it upsetting or is it just like you wanted to try to get to it and maybe yeah. I'll try again next time? The first year I cried. I was just yeah. like, like so upset. But then as I started running more, like I've tried hundreds before, right? Like mm -hmm. and DNF, you know, I've DNF a race called Havelina when I was in, when I was trying to run injured. So the second time of DNFing Leadville, I knew going out there that I wasn't sure if my body was going to be able to handle it. So mentally I prepared myself that way. So it was just like, well, I got this much further. So hopefully next time I will finish it. The first right. time is the most tragic. And then you don't want to get used to it. That's not a space you want to live in. Like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to make it. But, you know, depending you can on. accept it. Right. You can accept it. Yeah. Yeah. I can never imagine just being like, oh, I, you know, but I'm sure it's just something, I guess, in that when you're running that much. I mean, it's such an accomplishment in its own yeah. self, whatever mile that you get to. Yeah. Um, how did you get into and then you do trail running, too, right? Yeah. First of all, why did you decide, okay, I want to try ultra running or how did your trail running journey kind of begin? So I was doing a, like, I love street marathons and halves right there. Mm -hmm. That's, that's where I started. Um, 
And then I got into reading a lot of books and I read a book called Finding Ultra by Rich Roll. Yeah, I love him. Love, love Rich Roll. Uh-huh. Uh, and he mentions Leadville in that. When I read about Leadville, um, I was just like, I need to do this. I need to find out everything I can and consume this. It was, you know, like when something has your number, you read about something and you're like, right. I want this. Yeah. So when I read about it, Finding Ultra, I was just like, what is this? And I consumed everything I could about it. And that led me to my first 50K. Like the first ultra I did, I think was like 100K might have been. And then from there, it's just proceeded. That's amazing. Yeah, Rich Roll is, he's actually how I found out about Peloton when I was training for, yeah, when Robin was on, right? Like a, a long, long time ago. Because when I was training, I don't know if it was a half mile. I don't know what run I was training for, but I'm like, I can't listen to music all the time. And podcasts weren't really like a big thing. And I looked up best running podcast and his was the one and I just fell in love with him and he got me into the whole world of podcasts and you know he had Robin on and his guests are just and his story is amazing and I <laughs> don't know a lot of people that listen to him so I'm very, like ah I'm so excited that you <laughs> that was how I found Peloton also he had Robin I think it was like 2015 yeah yeah it was it was a long time ago um and she's been on three times since yeah um, that's all, yeah, and he is his. He's the only other person that really I know is ultra running as well. That's the only reason I heard of it. <laughs> and then from there, I ended up reading Board to Run, where they really go into Leadville in Born uh-huh. to Run. I was like, oh, I got it. I have to get out there. Uh, can you share a memorable experience from one of your ultra marathon races that taught you maybe like a valuable lesson or your favorite one that you did? My favorite story is I was climbed. There's a, an area in the Leadville 100 and it's called Hope Pass. And it's like 2,500, 3,000 feet of gain. And you're kind of just like climbing up a side of a mountain. And my husband and I are lugging up this mountain. There's no oxygen. You're at, you're going from 10 to 13,000 feet, right? You're in the Rocky Mountains. That's crazy. Yeah. So we're going up this way. And then David Goggins is <gasps> running down the hill on the other <laughs> side. Gazelle, like this race was like nothing for him. We were just, we were. It was like one of my favorite, like humbling memories because it was just kind of funny. Like we're struggling to go up. He's already got up. It's just like and back over, and he's talking to someone about like, do we do we have enough time to eat at the end? And I'm like, I'm barely gonna make it to the top. Oh my gosh, yeah, he's another one I learned from Rich Roll's podcast. Um, and a funny story about him. So I used to live down in Sea Isle City in the South Jersey Shore area. And my friends knew I was obsessed with David Goggins. And my one friend's like, I think David Goggins is in the Jersey, like in either Avalon or Stone Harbor. Like he's somewhere running. I saw he posted something and I'm like, okay, well, I'm probably not going to like ever see him because it's such, it's like multiple towns. So my husband had actually come down we went to Cape May for the night and we were driving back to Sea Isle. We took the long way through like, so we took Cape May to, um, we entered Wildwood Crest and we're sitting there and my husband's like, there he is, there he is. And then, sure enough, he was running in uh, Wildwood Crest and I was like, turn around, please turn around, turn around. I'm like, are you David Goggins? Hi. <laughs> Weirdest fangirl moment. In his last book, he talks about running in Jersey. That was probably yeah. Yeah, it was just like such a weird, I felt like a divine intervention of like, oh my God, all I wanted to do was see him. And then my husband's like, there he is. <laughs> but not as uh, not as intense as your experience of seeing him. But he's crazy. <laughs> um, so 
speaking of all that, balancing the physical demands of ultra marathon training uh, with your role as, you know, a life coach and just in general life, it takes up so much time. Um, but how does your um, job as a life coach and running, how does it all kind of intertwine with each other? How do you balance the demands of it all? Right. So I get up early. <laughs> I get up pretty early and I run, but also my husband we do the races together. Oh, that's awesome. So we're training together. We're running together. You know, I know sometimes it's very stressful when you're managing a family and a spouse to fit that all in with those demands, but we don't have, you know, we don't have kids and he likes mm -hmm. to run them also. So we, we do a lot of training together so we can spend time together and not have to worry about balancing that type of relationship. And with coaching, it's, I get a lot of insight in my running for my clients, for myself, for what I want to do with the business, you know, and also when you're coaching, even, even like in a relationship like this with podcasting, right, you go into mm -hmm. some really deep conversations and you pick up a lot of energy of the people that you're talking to. You yeah. need some time to decompress and fill your own cup. And that's really where it comes in for me. Even if I'm thinking about what's going on with my clients, I'm still out there. I'm still in nature. Or even if I'm on the treadmill, the endorphins that I get from it are just like none, nothing else I could ever express. So it translates a lot into the coaching aspect for me of how I can show up for my clients and coming up with things that might help them on the next session. Mm -hmm. I feel everything you're saying with the running and um, like working through everything. So that's a great comparison. People in it, sometimes coaching like 10 people in a day feels like a marathon. So you have to have yeah. <laughs> taking in all their, you know, problems <laughs> and problem solving is a, it really is. It can be draining sometimes. Yeah. Um, before we go into your life coaching, you do do some trail running too. How did you get into trail running? A lot of ultras are out on the trail. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, kind of how it transitioned into that. I wanted to run. I love Arizona and I love running in Arizona. There's a great race company in Arizona called Era Vapor Running and they've run some of the best races. So okay. I, and I want my first race ever ultra was going to be out there. So that's how I got onto the trail. So I do a lot of running at Rockefeller State Park in Naya okay. in New York. Yeah. That's awesome. What advice would you give for anyone who's looking maybe into step up their game into ultra running or, you know, even the trail running, especially if they believe that it's not something that they can achieve? I think it's, it's not as complicated as it sounds. A lot of people are like, how can you run? What do you do? How can you run so many miles? How do you train? You just run, mm -hmm. right? You, it's just one foot in front of the other and you just run. It, I, I don't think we need to overcomplicate it with, you know, strength training is important as a runner. You need strength training, but you don't need to incorporate any crazy types of, of other training or cross training, just your general cross training and miles on feet. And eat, a lot of ultra running is ultra hiking. Yeah. <laughs> you're out in the mountains. So get your hiking skills up, get your walking skills up. You know, if you're, if you have a four hour run and you need to walk some of that, just walk, don't stress it. There's nothing wrong with walking during an ultra at all. And I think because a lot of people think like, oh, you run all that? No, hell no. <laughs> yeah. Some of the pros do, but even they're hiking. Right. Yeah. It's, show up to a race and pe some people use their poles. Some people don't. There's going to be hiking. There's going to be walking. No one's going to expect you to run all 100 miles straight. It doesn't take anything away from you. Just right. time. 
on feet. Maybe I'll uh, aim for that one day after my, my kids are a little older. And I have up in PA at the Delaware Water Gap. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm actually going up there this weekend uh, near the Delaware Water Gap. There's so many good tr- hiking trails. Up PA is a fun, fast, fun 50K. Okay. All right. I'll look into it. <laughs> Not anytime soon, but maybe in the future. Um, so let's move on to life coaching. Um, some people don't understand exactly what life coaching is. I actually just started venturing into life coaching as well. And I, I find sometimes it's hard to explain. People are like, well, isn't that what you go to a therapist for? And there is so much, so many different aspects of life coaching in regards to the future rather than dealing with the, the past. And, and how would you explain what your goal as a life coach is? So I think what's important is that life coaching, it's very specific. It's specific for you and finding the coach that works for you because everyone's life is different. So I can't give like a general definition for life coaching for me and for my clients. It's taking my clients from where they are now to where they want to be. Right. Yeah. Where are you in your life where you're feeling stuck, unhappy, uncomfortable, or are things really good, but you're just trying to get to the next level? Mm-hmm. It's is about healing or quote unquote fixing things, right? We're not broken. We know that, right? Sometimes things are going really well and we're just trying to get to the next level. Sometimes things aren't so great and we're trying to make them better. So it's really personalized to the client, but that's a lot of what I work with with my life coaching clients, where we are now and where do we want to be? Yeah, that's perfect way to explain it too. Uh, that's what I always say a lot about the future. Um, the one thing that I saw on your website is that I and I love the quote. Um, and again, it really resonated with me is that you're not meant to live life at 30%. Could you explain like what your thought process around that maybe is? Sure. So a lot of that is like, like I used to work in corporate, right? Corporate was not for me. Corporates for some people, they love it. It was not for me. Everything else in my life was great, except for that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I felt like I was operating at 30% because I would pu- I would be so happy in the morning I'd get up, I'd go for a run, but then I had to get dressed and pull into this job and literally cry in a parking lot. Yeah. And I there for eight hours under these fluorescent lights, doing something that drained my soul, just waiting to get out, to go run, go to the gym, go see my husband, go see my friends, go to dinner. But since I'm there so much, that's like 70% of my life, five days a week. Yeah felt like I was only operating at 30% and being happy 30% of the time. And how could I transition that into more, right? Can we be happy 100%? I don't know. I feel like I am. Yeah. Things I, aren't perfect, but I'm happier. Right. I, yeah, I could totally see that. It's like you're, you're happy throughout the day, but a majority of the day. I feel like if you're happy a majority of the day, then that's happiness in life. That's 100%. That's like winning for me. Yeah. So how did you get the courage to move out of corporate um, into this job? I hired a life coach. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of of my background is that, um, like we we spoke about Peloton before, Mm -hmm. and Jess King actually has a program called Mindful 3. Back then it was called Ascend, and basically you would sign up. It's still the same to this day. You get a life coach, a personal trainer, and a nutritionist. Okay. Back then, Jess did the life coaching and the personal training. And okay. I signed, she mentioned it at the end of her, one of her classes one day, and I signed up for it. And I like didn't know how I was going to afford it, what I was going to do, but something just called me to it. And I said, I have to change my life. I can't mm-hmm. 
keep doing this. And, you know, a, you know, what I learned from Jess is we are not, we are not broken, right? At all. Mm-hmm. There, and we can be whoever we want to be and step into what we want out of our, in our life. And I did her program twice at that point. Wow. So I did three months and I was like, I, I want more. Mm-hmm. Right. And I did the next three months and I knew I needed to leave, but I wasn't sure what to do. I, so right. I finished the program and I had all the tools and I just was not a hundred percent sure. And I was still a little like, oh, you know, this is a good job. And if I leave and all this stuff. And one day she texted me and said, hey, do you want to, do you still hate your job? Do you want to be a personal assistant? And wow. Said, yes. Yes, yeah. I do. And I quit <laughs> corporate America, good job and became a personal assistant. And I never looked back. Wow. That what a cool. That. Yeah. And then from there, I got, you know, from there, from just working with her and running mindful on the back end, I was like, I want to, I, I want people to do the same thing that I did. Like, I don't want mm-hmm. people to stuck and miserable and uncomfortable every because I was uncomfortable I was like living this life that wasn't me and she showed me like there are ways you don't have to do that right Right. always comfortable and it's scary and it doesn't look I'm not telling people to quit their jobs and go take something else but there are ways that work with your life from there I got my person I got my life coaching certification and it's and I and I to this day I still run mindful three with Jess and I, I do life coaching and grief counseling and sound healing through that program. That's amazing. I am literally at a kind of crossroads right now of like, I feel like I need something. I love teaching. I love being there. But like, is this what I want to do for 25 more years? I'm not sure. And so I had gotten my master's in coaching because I'm a health and phys ed teacher. And so I was kind of like, what do I do with this? I didn't, I knew I just didn't want to get my supervisor cert. So that's why I did the coaching. And um, I'm like, let me try and and like help other people in a different way rather than the high school kids. And so I, I agree with you. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand what you're saying is that you can live 100% happy. Everything isn't the way that it has to be all negative all the time. And looking at different perspectives and growing is people just get stuck, I think, and they need someone like you to help them. <laughs> Thank you. I think people get stuck and there's a lot of fear and that fear is natural. I mm-hmm. have that too. But you have to look at who's around you, who can support you and in more of that, right? If right. there's someone telling you like, you can't do that, that's a bad idea, you're never going to make it, we cut that person out. Yeah. And like saying, I knew I wanted to do something more. What can I do? It's still in your space, mm-hmm. but it's something that's going to fill your cup. So if you're in an office and you're miserable, but you you feel like, well, I need this financially. Okay, what in that space can you do that will make you happier? Mm-hmm. You don't have to throw it all away, but there find a way. Right. I totally agree with all of that, um, and I feel all of that. <laughs> so literally, like I said, what I've been doing, I'm like, I'm cry just talking about it. <laughs> I, I really, I'm like, this is every year speaking right to my soul for all of it because I, that is what I have been trying to do is. When I came back after I had my kids, I I was I had such a different perspective of my job because I had put my heart and soul into the kids because I didn't have my own and now I had my own and it just gave me a different 
I don't know. It just balanced it differently. And um, I was like, I have to find something else to, like you said, fill my cup of creativity and passion. And um, so I, I totally understand all that you're saying. So to kind of just go a little, a little deeper, what are some of the core principles of your methods that you use for your clients? How do you ensure that they're going to listen to you? (laughs) With my, with my clients, you know, we start with a, like a really deep dive session, right? Tell me everything about you. I want to know the whole journey. Yeah. Right. And then I want to know what's going on now and then what possibly, where do you possibly want to be? Mm -hmm. That might change, but right now, what does that look like? And then from there, we go into really value mining. Who are, who are you? What are your values? What do you want out of life? Right. Cause yeah. that tells you a lot about what you're doing, right? You know, if your value is X, but your job is Y, you're never going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Or if your family is a certain way or your spouse is a certain way and that it's, it's against your core values. Why are we doing this? Yeah. And that goes into the next thing which, that I work with my clients is we, we call it like saboteur and ally identification, but who are the voices in your head? Are they yours? Mm-hmm. Are they someone else's? Right? Are you yeah. telling yourself a story that someone else told you that you're not good enough, that you can't do this? And maybe mm-hmm. it isn't someone else. Maybe you are sabotaging yourself. Maybe you are saying mean things to yourself, but we really need to know who that voice is so that we can take control of it and change it. If it's someone else, how do we kick them out? (laughs) Right. If it's yours, how do we change your narrative? What would you say to a best friend? You would not say the things that you say to yourself sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos that I I kind of post on my story for TikTok, but one of the videos that I have for this week is common limiting beliefs. And just like you said, it was who made you have these limiting beliefs? Was it a parent? Was it a friend? Was it a random guy on the street? And why is it resonating with you for so long saying that you can't do this because someone said you can't? And even when clients come in, they say, well, it's myself. No one said this to me. You still picked it up somewhere. Right. right? I, yeah. We're not born to say these terrible things to ourselves. Was it social mm-hmm. media? Was it TV? Did we hear us, you know, one parent say something to another? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's a huge part of it is really honing in on who these voices are yeah, and how we take control of them and change them into a more positive light. Yeah, and then we go through, What are we saying yes to? And what are we saying no to? What do we want? And what's the action plan? And a lot of times when people ask me what the difference between is coaching and therapy, I have clients that have therapists and also work with me as a coach. And a lot of it is at the end of each session, we're going to come up with an action item. What are we working on in between sessions? And I'm going to check in and make sure you're doing it. And if you don't do it, it's not like you get in trouble, but there's a reason. Mm -hmm. Then we can explore that further. So there's always going to be what is your takeaway from today? And what are the action items for the next week or two weeks when we meet next? That's going to get you closer to your goal, to where you want to be and the accountability to hold you to that. Yeah, the accountability is also so important. And um having someone like you is probably just so to to have it guided because people can say, Oh, I can have a friend that's my accountability partner, but maybe they're not the outside perspective that they need to give them what they need and tell them the truth. And there's also a, a to be honest, there's a different relationship when money is involved. True. Yeah. There's because there has to be an energy exchange. (laughs) And I mean, in all honesty, that's our energy exchange. You were paying me. 
Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? And I'm definitely going to follow up because that is our contract. Right. Yeah. And I love that you said that's the the energy exchange because a lot of people don't think of it that way. They think of, oh, I'm not going to shell out the money because of X, Y. But when you say it as it is, that's the way, you know, money is energy and you can use that as your motivational energy or that's going to motivate you to stay on track because you paid for it. That's exactly. Um, so to kind of go to the other end of the spectrum, I also found it so intriguing that you are a death doula as well. Um, have you read the book by any chance, the collective regrets of Clover? No, I haven't. read. The book. So I read this book in the summer. I actually interviewed the author, Mickey Brammer. She's amazing. And it's about a woman who is a death doula. And I didn't, again, even know that these existed. And um, when I was interviewing, when I saw I was interviewing you, I saw that you also dabble in that as well. Um, So could you share what kind of inspired you to do that? And maybe what, again, what a death doula is for those who may not know. So what inspired me to do that, to, to get certified? So I am a grief coach. I'm a certified grief coach. So I work with clients on loss a lot. Um, what motivated me or what kind of pushed me to become um, an end of life for death doula is that my father was really sick for a year. He was in and out of nursing homes, assisted livings, hospitals, the house, and then eventually into hospice. I spent a, the last year of my life, most all, almost all of 2023, in, in these institutions, right? Yeah. I saw a lot of people that were by themselves. You know, my dad had me, my sister, my mother, my my husband. We somebody was there with him mm-hmm. literally every day for that for that year. But I saw so many people that did not have anybody. And it mm-hmm. like broke my heart because I'm wondering, you know, the medical field, these nurses and these aides and these doctors, they're so short staffed and they're so overwhelmed that they can't possibly be with people and meet their emotional needs Mm -hmm. and sometimes even meet like certain, you know, just family, they can't do it. There's just too much. So, you know, seeing things that my dad would need, right. Or things that would just make him comfortable that we could bring him. And then we start asking like his neighbor, like, Hey, do you want a cup of coffee from somewhere else? Like, do you want Starbucks? Do you want food? Do you want this? Do you want someone to read to whatever it was? And he had so many different roommates. Some people had people, some people didn't. So it really came from a space of seeing people that were by themselves. And also how can I support my father as he's transitioning? Because I knew, I knew he was. And a big role of a death duel is helping a dying person transition in a way that leaves them with dignity. Mm-hmm. Are their needs being met? Are their wishes being met? Is there anything that they want to do before they pass on, right? Do they want to do a legacy project? Is there a note they want to write, someone they want to contact? And then keeping them comfortable in those final days and making sure that their wishes are being met, right? Do Mm -hmm. they want vacation? Do they not, you know, as long as they have that all written out and there's a plan, making sure that that plan is followed Mm -hmm. and support families too right like sometimes if you're in somebody's house can you make them the family can you make them a cup of tea and just be somebody of comfort for them while this is happening like I said after reading that book my eyes had opened so much to the need like you just said for death doulas and the 
the thought process around it because death is so uncomfortable for so many people and they don't ask the right questions and they don't um, give their loved ones maybe what they would want to because they can't think emotionally right you know straight and having someone like you is a great tool for like, I remember saying, I, I don't want any more dialysis like it mm-hmm. doesn't make feel good and I'm done and just this is a family being like no you have to mm-hmm. you need it if you don't have it you're gonna die but in reality he was gonna die anyway right with the dialysis or with were we just extending his pain so we finally stopped but like almost forcing because we were kind of like no you have to do this you right. know and then we step back and we said wait it's not making him comfortable right it's not what he wants but we're pressuring him right so we really took that step back and even the doctor kind of said to us like it's not helping him mm-hmm. so having outside perspective is super helpful because sometimes you don't see it i had the the foresight to see it just because i'm in the work right Right. But when there's tons of emotions involved, you just want your loved one to get better. And if the doctor says this is going to help or you think this is going to help or you read this is going to help, you might try and force that on them. Right. You have to selflessly just let them do what they want to do. And and dignity or what they feel. Dignity is different for everyone. Right. So what they feel, their dignity. Right. Um, do you have any particular impactful or meaningful moment from being a death doula that you feel like maybe really was helpful for a family or that you can talk about? I don't know if you can talk about the, uh, I think it goes back to what I, you know, even yeah. the situation that I had with my dad, I've had it with other clients where it's just, they don't want this anymore. Yeah. yeah. And New Jersey is a right to die state. New okay. Jersey and say, I don't want to do this anymore. And you go through certain steps and you can sign off and they will give you something after a couple months. And I think one of the most impactful things I had to do was sit with a family through all that paperwork. Yeah. And just support them through like, okay, you might not want this, but they do. Right. We're not feeling the pain that they're feeling. So how do we support the family through that? And that was my my client that was like, I don't want chemo anymore. I just, I don't want to do this anymore that's an amazing thing that you do um a lot of people like i said would would need it and um they're so lucky to have you help them through it um to move on to the last part of you uh all the things that you do (laughs) um you do sound healing sound healing and you're a reiki coach as well um can you give a little bit of explanation about this i've been watching (laughs) your videos on the sound i'm like oh (laughs) Oh, yeah. I love sound healing. Sound healing. Yeah. Um, I got into sound healing because I was going through my through some prior to my father passing away in 2019. I had a, a very close um, someone in my life who was very close who passed away. And I was completely devastated by this. That's how I got into being a grief coach after he passed away. Mm-hmm. And the grief was so heavy. I didn't really know what to do with myself. And mm-hmm. I had a friend who, who was a sound healer. And she said, hey, let me give you a session. You know, it might help. And it really did. It really helped to shift and to move the energy and to help me work through some of that grief. And I continued with that. And then I thought, well, I want to give this to my clients too, right? Right. I want to feel the way that I felt because it really did help me move through a lot of grief. So I got certified to do sound healing. And then I also got certified as a Reiki practitioner because I like doing them together with clients in the same session. 
Uh, so I, I've gotten Reiki done before, but I've never done the sound healing. And how just that I how does the sound healing actually heal? Like what is the mind, um, body, spirit sure. thought process behind it? So the the bowls that I play are they're a chakra set. Right. And okay. the science and the theory is that everything is energy and everything has a frequency. And every bowl is a note. And that mm-hmm. note is a frequency that is associated with the chakra. Mm-hmm. Right, the chakra system. So there's hundreds, but there's seven main ones mm-hmm. that we work with and that the bowls work with, right? So from your crown down to your root. So you come we come to a session. What are you feeling today? What's going on? What can I help you with? And then we play the bowls that release the frequency that help unblock and move energy mm-hmm. in the chakra system. So wow. That's the science behind it. Yeah. That's now is there I I know you said there's different bowls, but do you have to learn like how to move it in a certain way or is it more just like this bowl when you do it in one you know whatever a few motions for all rhythm and you have to learn you do have to learn (laughs) how to play them you know uh, different pressure releases different different sounds the speed that you go you know you can get a higher note or a lower note so it takes Mm -hmm. some practice that's really cool i love that and for reiki um maybe some again some people may not know about reiki um and can you explain that a little bit so the science behind Reiki is it's universal energy healing, right? I have energy, you have energy. Uh, so, you know, you get attuned by your Reiki practitioner and you move your, your hands, right, in certain positions of the body and they kind of align with the chakra system. And it's the same thing about moving energy through the body, yeah. right? But the best thing is it's your energy, right? Like yeah. I'm I'm just the facilitator. The energy is yours and we're just going to move it. But, you know, people think it sounds crazy, but it's really profound when you get it done. Yeah. I um, feel it. (laughs) Yeah. It was very weird. Like around, I think it was around my throat. She felt a lot of, and, and my brain, well, my, like my, or the top of my crown was like huge and my head, you know, everything in my mind is always moving. But the one thing that she had talked to me was she went down to my feet. She's like, I normally don't do feet um, area, but I guess she felt some energy there. And this was a time when we actually were trying to figure out, do we want to move forward to have kids? Do we not want to have kids? And in my mind, I'm like weighing everything, all the what ifs. And she explained it down to a T of like, you can't talk your way out of a paper bag and you have to just let it kind of flow. And I felt like it was such an, it it was just such an, eye-opener for what I needed to hear, I guess. Um, and it was so weird because I didn't tell her anything about anything. She Body like, gives off energy, yeah. right? <laughs> we are like a lot of, we're electricity and you can mm-hmm. feel it. So she probably felt yeah. something in your root chakra, which would correlate with your feet. Yeah, it was really cool. So I, I put your hand in front of your face, you're going to, you can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. So do you, can you read auras or, or no, yeah, I, I was just, when I'm, I, yeah, not that's I always in, have that gift. <laughs> I, that always interests me too. Uh, it, I, I'm, I love learning all about that stuff and the, um, the energy and the spiritualness of it. And I think it's something that we should learn more about, but you know, we, we really don't. And some people think it's like weird and, you A know, little kind of kooky. Yeah. But once you start learning about it, you're like, wait, this is actually so helpful. 
um, for everything. All right. So um, before we conclude our conversation, is there one piece of advice or maybe a mantra that you would like to share with the listeners, something about that they can take and keep with them from this conversation? I guess my one piece of advice is do the things, right? Just do the things. If there's something you want to sign up for, if there's something you want to try, just do it. (laughs) Do the damn thing. Right. We can go back to Peloton. We can go back to Robin Arzon. Do epic shit. Yeah. Go out there, do the things, live your life, and don't worry about what anybody's going to say or think about it because they're not you. Yeah. Best advice. Stop, you know, worrying about others. It took me long enough to figure that out. And I feel like once I've got out of that shell, my life has been better that not that it wasn't good before, but dropping the opinions of others for to do things that I want to do is been even starting this podcast I was like oh everyone's gonna think I'm weird for doing it and I'm almost a year you know year into it and I've met amazing people and you would have listened to that voice that was like don't do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah because the voice told me to do it and I was like what I don't even know how to do a podcast why would I do this like you can never run that much you can never you're never gonna do this you're never gonna do that why are you gonna do this and I was like you know what watch me Mm -hmm. do so much happier since that's my advice just go do the damn things (laughs) best advice i love it um all right so that's going to bring us to the end of another episode of the running wine mom podcast i want to express my gratitude to candace for her openness and wisdom that you shared with that she shared with us today so thank you so much candace for taking us on a journey of resilience empowerment transformation um make sure that you check out candace's life coaching business. I'll post everything and link everything up uh, and explore the offerings that she has to offer. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review and sharing it. You can follow me on Instagram at the running wine mom underscore and Candace, can you tell the listeners where they can find you at? Sure. You can find me on Instagram at Candace Graciano underscore coaching. And then my website is candacegraciano.com. And thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of Thank you. This was wonderful. You were someone that I saw. I don't I don't know. Maybe I did see it on maybe Jess's Instagram. And you know, you always look at other people and I was like, you seem so intriguing and the perfect fit for this. So again, it was uh, me kind of going out on a limb too. Like she'll probably say no, but why not try? (laughs) Um, So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to interview you. This is wonderful. I learned so much and I know everybody listening will. So again, thank you. Remember you are strong, you are capable, and you are all amazing. Until next time, keep running, keep sipping, and keep embracing the joy of life. Cheers. And I will be back next Tuesday.